RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. I'm David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. What a podcast it's going to be. Mark Madden is going to be our guest this week, former WCW color commentator back in the day and also had other jobs for that company. And if there's anybody that tells it like it is and gives it to you straight, it's Mark Madden. So he's going to come on, tell some stories. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a blast. So stay tuned for that. I know last week we uh, we promised we were going to celebrate our three-year anniversary and happy anniversary to the podcast. And thank you if you've been with us from the beginning or if you've been with us a couple of weeks. I appreciate all the support out there. Um, it got time to record the podcast last week. And I, I'm, I'm looking online and I'm seeing these, these women, mostly women, pouring their heart and soul and guts out on social media. Um, taking a stand. And, and I, I just didn't, you know, I apologize. We try to get one of these out every week. I just didn't feel that it was appropriate while these people are, 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 are on, you know, on social media platforms, basically telling about their worst, the worst things that ever happened in their lives. Uh, and then going on and doing a ha ha telling stories with a, with a wrestler or, or, Bring announcer, commentator, whoever we have on. So I just thought it'd be better to take a week off. But um, and 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 I commend everybody who who was brave enough to tell their stories. Um, you know, it's a different world in 2020, and thank God. And um, and the, some of the stuff that people got away with back when I first came into the business, um, not a lot of people, but a, a few people. Uh. You know, that stuff is not tolerated anymore and the world's a better place for it and business is a better place for it. As far as, the, you know, people that, that were inferred, I'm not going to get involved in that. Uh, there's still uh, investigations being done and, uh, and you know, lawyers being consulted. So I'm not going to put involved in that. But I do applaud the women who were brave enough to tell their stories. And I hope that this leads to a business where... Uh, there's more respect shown uh, to everybody, to everybody. It's a tough business. Uh, it's not for everybody. And um, and there's no reason why there can't be decorum just like there is in every other uh, line of life. And, and there is. It's getting better. Uh, but, um, you know, the, this stuff takes time. And um, I, I see that we're going in the right direction. So it makes me happy. But I, I just didn't think it was right to do a podcast, even our third anniversary celebration podcast. So uh, we took a week off. Uh, hope you enjoyed the DDP podcast. And uh, like I said, this week, Mark Madden, in just a moment, want to remind you, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at David Penzer, all one word. You could also catch me each and every Tuesday night on Impact Wrestling on Axis TV, eight o'clock Eastern time, having a lot of fun with that. And uh, we're going to be talking in the coming weeks, some Slammiversary, a lot of big names being teased. And I don't know anything. I don't know if they know anything, uh, but uh, I assume they do. But um, it uh, it's exciting. It's always exciting when you don't know, even for me. Uh, so I'm looking forward to being surprised and uh, and, and being a fan again. So uh, we'll be talking some Slammiversary on pay-per-view. Uh, if, you, if you don't get to see... Um, you don't get access and you don't get to see impact wrestling. 
they're teasing a former world champion coming back and teasing a bunch of the guys and girls that got released from WWE back that uh, big day that a bunch of people got released, uh, that there'll be some people in that group that are going to be coming in. So uh, we'll have to wait and see who it is, but it's uh, it's gotten some buzz and I'm interested. So you can always catch me there and um, be sure to spread the word. Uh, if you like the podcast, spread the word. We work hard each and every week to get a good guest and tell some fun stories. And uh, especially in the crazy world we live in now, let you uh, skate for 45 minutes to 90, 90 minutes or so. And, uh, and just listen to some wrestling stories. So without further ado, speaking of stories and a guy who could tell them, Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, former WCW color commentator, the one and only Mark Madden. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Ringside, get to check a box off my bucket list. Been after this next person for a while, and that's because I know that he is going to tell me the absolute 100% truth as he sees it. And that's always good for uh, podcasts like this. So without further ado, please welcome Pittsburgh area journalist and radio personality and former WCW color commentator, the one and only Mark Madden. Welcome to City Ringside, Mark. Andrew, to get this kind of truth in the old days, you had to pay a dollar forty-nine a minute. Kids, get your parents' permission first. <laughs> you did, you did, and that actually makes me think of Gene. And then I went back today when I was doing research, and actually, you actually did a match. But we'll get to that at some point. Uh, I'd love to hear the story behind that. I don't even remember that. that that's how crazy that was. I, I remember the Tank Abbott thing, but I don't remember the Oakland thing. But we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, I, I remember it, so yeah, feel free to ask. <laughs> how you how you doing up there in uh, in, in Pittsburgh with the, uh, the, the the world's gone nuts craziness with... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm working out of my kitchen. We have a portable studio for my radio show. I'm just grateful to still be working, though, because, you know, there's no sports. There's no new games. Honestly, I don't think any of these sports are going to resume. I look at the plans they're making, and I see a lot of holes in them. Um, you know, in Europe, they handled the virus right, you know, governmentally. And as a result, they've been able to open soccer leagues in, you know, England, Germany, Italy, Spain. But here in the U.S., our leadership, and not just the president, but from the top on down, the leadership's been so incompetent that the virus is still spiking. So how are you going to, you know, resume sports? Well, you don't even have the virus contained. So uh, it's been tough to do a sports talk show for now. I think it's been 110 days since sports got canceled. But, you know, I'm making do. People are still listening. Uh, You know, we do a lot of nostalgia stuff, a lot of what-if stuff. But uh, right now, things are still on boil. So I'm not not too discouraged. But, boy, if we don't get some sports back soon, it's going to be rough. And like I said, I doubt that we will. No, not even football, you don't think? Football has the best chance because – uh, they will just forge right ahead. And they're such a powerful entity. They're too big to fail. And also their timeline's not yet been disrupted except for losing uh, OTAs and minicamps. So I think they have the best chance. But uh, I see stuff like Brady was asked to not practice. And, uh, you know, those, those informal workouts he's doing, the union asked him to not do that for the sake of social distancing. And he just kept doing it. And he posted a thing on social media. Uh, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, which is, of course, a quote from the former president during World War II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And I saw that and I said, somebody tell Brady that the FDR caught polio and wound up in a wheelchair. Uh, <laughs> if anybody knows about contagious diseases, it's FDR. So uh, the problem with athletes, Penzer, and you know this, 
they think they're immortal. They think nothing can ever happen to them, and they think if they get it, it'll be no big deal. And to be honest, with these guys, if they get it, it, it won't be a big deal. It'll just be, you know, sidelined for two, three weeks, whatever, you know, isolated, you know, quarantined. But what if they give it to one of their kids? What if they give it to their wife? What if they give it to somebody legitimately vulnerable, like a, a father or a grandfather? So uh, I still think that this all has the potential to fall apart based on something like that happening. Well, I'm here in Tampa for almost 20 years now, and 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 the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, other than getting lucky one year and winning the Super Bowl, have had the worst luck, and 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 you could say uh, probably not the best management at times. But they finally get a, uh, they finally get Brady and Gronkowski. They sell out the season tickets, and now it looks like even if they if they do have a season, not, they're not going to be allowed to have fans in the stands. So that's that's such a Tampa Bay Buccaneer thing. To, to yeah, but you got a good coach. Bruce Arians is uh, a guy I worked with when he was the coordinator here in Pittsburgh. And there's very few coaches I speak more highly of than B.A. I think he's uh, going to be a godsend working with Brady down in Tampa Bay. And, I, and I'll be honest, Pens, I understand the stuff about the fans not being in the stands. But if the Buccaneers do well, you'll still appreciate it. I'm a big English soccer fan, which you may or may not remember from back in the day. And my favorite team, uh, Liverpool Football Club, just won their first league championship in 30 years. That was wow. clinched uh, yesterday. And uh, I got to tell you, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I only I go I go once a year, but I'm not a season ticket holder or anything like that. But even with the empty stands, it still felt really good. It's still your team. It's nice to see games when you're emotionally invested again. And I think once the Bucks play, even if the fans aren't there, uh, you'll feel the same way. I'm actually a big fantasy football guy, so I mean, I I'll root for the Bucks, but if if uh, say there I have a running back that's playing against them, I'm rooting for that running back to score as many yards and touchdowns as they can. And that's the thing, football has to happen because I can take all this and and fantasy football, but I can't take all this and no fantasy football too. No baseball, no fantasy football. I, it, it, you know, every man has a point where he just can't take it anymore. So, uh, well, uh, fantasy football is going to be interesting with the, with the virus because what if you take a Patrick Mahomes and suddenly in the middle of the season he's quarantined for a couple of weeks or, or longer? And uh, I, I've had people call my show say, "Well, that's not fair." If you know a guy gets the virus, or what if four guys on one team get the virus? Well, it, it's not fair. But then again, life generally isn't. It, it, the only chance these sports leagues have, Pence, to play play out the season is if they treat the virus like an injury, that it's next man up, no matter who gets it and no matter how many people get it. That's their only chance. Yeah, I think Aaron, I know we're here to talk about wrestling, but I think Arians um, had mentioned that keeping a third quarterback on the main roster, but having him uh, not practice and not be around anybody, basically quarantining a third quarterback just in case uh, one of the quarterbacks went down. So it, it changes. I've heard some teams might keep four quarterbacks. The, the, the league might actually concede an extra roster spot to each team to have a fourth quarterback. So maybe Kaepernick will finally get a job. <laughs> if he doesn't, then uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if he could still play or not, so I shouldn't say anything. If he can play. I, I don't know that he'd want to be the fourth quarterback at any rate. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like he was hard done by back when. And I respect the stand he took, but he had to know it might cost him his career, and it probably did. Well, if he could play like Tom Brady, he'd still have a job. But, uh, you know, they'll as you know, they'll take you uh, – they'll take the aggravation 
if you're good enough. But if you're average, then, then maybe they don't want all the aggravation that comes along. Or t- I shouldn't say aggravation. He did what he did. There's no, nothing wrong with it. Uh, the attention. The attention that comes with it. Well, Hens, if he could play like Tom Brady, Nike would have sponsored him kneeling. <laughs> oh, duh. Give it time. Give it time. But, uh, but yeah, that's the whole fantasy thing. And, and then we'll get to wrestling. The whole fantasy thing is uh, is where people like me uh, do, do well because I'm obsessed. I have like uh, three things on my phone that get automatic updates, like uh, like makes a noise uh, if, uh, if if something there's news. So everybody always wonders, like I remember, um, uh, shoot, who's the guy on um, two years ago on uh, on the Chiefs, who's now the backup for the um, for the Browns running back? Oh, uh, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt. So I got, I was, I was sitting in my office one day. I looked down, I got a uh, text, Kareem Hunt uh, uh, video surfaces where he, you know, beat Ooh, up a girl. Yeah, that was bad too. Boom. You knew he was done. Boom, go right in, pick up uh, the backup. Um, it was not Damian Williams at the time, but ended up being Damian Williams. And literally within two minutes before it even got on ESPN Sports Center, I had picked up his backup. So that's uh that's that that will be uh people like me who are obsessed will be the ones who who would take advantage of this COVID. If somebody goes down, I'll know about it and I'll have his backup in 30 seconds. And so anyway. much of a fantasy guy, but I'll tell you one good fantasy story. In in the press box at the uh at the uh, Penguins games, we used to have a fantasy league among all the you know writers and minor officials and broadcasters and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So in 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 December of uh 2000, when Mario Lemieux made his comeback after three and a half years, you know, the Penguins' best player, now their owner, and arguably the greatest NHL player ever. Uh, I got a phone call uh, the day he announced his comeback. I got a phone call like at uh, about two o'clock from somebody who worked for his agent and said, Hey, uh, Mario's coming back to play. And I go, What are you talking about? They go, Yeah, he's coming back. He's been training. Uh, He wants you to know first so you can put on your radio show. And I said, well, that's great. It was great. And he told me and Kevin Allen, the guy who writes hockey for USA Today. But uh, the, the first thing I did was call the guy who ran the fantasy league and claim Mario Lemieux on waivers. <laughs> I knew where that was going. That's fantastic. That's tremendous. Yeah, it, it helps to, to know people for sure. I uh, There's a guy named Adam Rank who's a big wrestling fan who's a fantasy football guy on on uh, NFL Network. And uh and I have an inside track to him, so it never hurts if you got to pick between two or three players for your uh, flex spot. Hey, Adam, how you doing? What do you think? So, uh, anyway, so I'm assuming you grew up in Pittsburgh, correct? Correct. And um, I'm assuming you had an interest in wrestling when you were younger. Were you a WWF guy, a, an NWA guy, a little bit of both? Well, when I was a kid, uh, I was I was both, but. Uh, you know, Bruno San Martino was the, the big star, and he was from Pittsburgh, and he was WWF champion. Actually, then it was WWWF, Worldwide yeah. Wrestling Federation. I remember. And, uh, and it's funny, too, because years later, I met Bruno, and I found him to be just a miserable person. I didn't like him at all, and he didn't like me at all, to be sure. And there's a lot of recorded examples of that. But, uh, but back then, you know, you, you went to the arena, you watched the, you watched the matches, uh, the big thing when I was younger was the Bruno Zabisco feud, where Larry Zabisco, who we, of course, both worked with in WCW, uh, turned on Bruno, and they had a series of matches that ended in a cage at Chase Stadium. I saw the, that, that match in Pittsburgh, too, the version we did there. So it was mostly WWF. Uh, 
my favorite WWF wrestler back then was Greg Valentine, who, of course, I later worked with, and, and you know as well. But um, in my mid-teens, and, and you know, my friends were a bunch of losers just like me, and we used to watch wrestling on WOR, the cable, with the WWE matches. That was the weekly show, WOR out of New York. Yeah, I, we got but it here. We, we got it down in South Florida where I was. Well, right, but then we finagled with, like, remember those old UHF antennas, the wire antennas you put on top of your TV? Yeah, yeah. I we do. finagled with that. This is before the Superstation TBS. We finagled with that. And if you put it a certain way on the, the windowsill uh, next to the door in my living room, you could get Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. I forget if it was the Steubenville, Ohio station or the Wheeling, West Virginia station. I think it might have been the Johns PA station. But you could watch Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. And that's where I discovered Ric Flair, who... You know, later became, you know, a guy we worked with, one of my best friends to this day and the greatest wrestler of all time. So I was a Ric Flair fan from a very, uh, well, relatively speaking, young age as a teenager. Uh, I remember all the after mags where Flair would be on the cover with his face covered in blood, stuff like that. And uh, I believe then and I believe to this day he's the, the greatest all around performer in the history of professional wrestling. So I became an NWA guy and a Ric Flair guy. Uh, at a very early age, and there was such a marked difference in the product with athleticism, and and uh, and you know it was a lot more serious product than WWF. So I, I liked that, and I stuck with it, and eventually, you know, worked for the company that uh, that trickled down from the NWA. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get to that. You uh, you wrote for the Torch, uh, kind of controversial, which is you always are. Uh, how'd that come about, and um, and uh, Tell me about the experiences back then. You know, now everybody reads the kayfabe sheets and, and nobody hides it. Uh, back then, you know, everybody hid it in their briefcase or something and, uh, and, and you know, wouldn't read it in front of anybody else. Because the, the, I, I tell the story, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, you're afraid to get I was afraid to get heat from like uh, Bischoff or somebody like that. But Bischoff's reading that, too. So, uh but uh, but but so how how was it involved back then when it it was more underground working for one of the top uh, dirt sheets? Oh, it was for lack it of a was fun. Word. I mean, uh, I mean, I I wrote about wrestling for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette when I worked there full time too, back when. I mean, very sporadically because they didn't want a wrestling story every week. In fact, if I could get you know two or three in per year, that was a lot. But I wrote about the local guys like Zabisco, you know, and Bruno and uh, uh, Johnny Valiant, one of the Valiant brothers who who was from Pittsburgh and, and lived his whole life there. But, uh, but I started writing for, for Keller. Well, I forget what year exactly, but, uh, you know, I did a lot of fun work for him. I did, uh, you know, probably the two things people remember me for with Keller are, uh, Ole Anderson, who was just a miserable son of a bitch, uh, on, on the WCW 900 number, he had a segment back then. And he said that he would offer, you know, $25,000. I think it was 25, might've been 10 any dirt sheet writer who had the guts to get in the ring with him. So I, I got a hold of Mike Weber, who was at, at WCW then, who, you know, I, I worked with years later. And uh, I said, okay, I accept. And uh, and he goes, well, that, that wasn't a serious offer. And I go, well, uh, my lawyer thinks it constitutes a verbal contract. So, of course, I hadn't talked to a lawyer who has money for that yeah. at that point in my life. But so, but so I, I wrote, so, so naturally they sent me a letter saying that Ole was just, you know, kidding or words that effect. And he declines the offer. So then on the 900 number I was working for, which was Meltzer's at the time, I wrote for Keller, but did Meltzer's 100 number. 
I cut all these promos where Ole Anderson's a yellow dog. He wanted to fight me. He's running away from me, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, Ole would have killed me. Yeah, for sure. But, but I also knew that it was never going to happen. And I thought maybe they'd pay me to go away, which they didn't pay me at the time anyway. And uh, so, so that was a, a, a moment when I wrote for Keller. I remember talking years later to Weber, and Weber told me that Ole was so pissed about the promos I cut about him being a coward that Weber caught him in his office one time, listening to me on Melcher's 900 number, and he was so mad, tears were streaming down his face. Oh, the, the little bit I know Ole, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm best buddies with Ole, but I got to be around Ole a lot when I first came to WCW, uh, doing the backstage stooge stuff. And, um, and yeah, he, he, he would have been furious. He, the one thing, and you know, it's a lot of people back then, they did guys like Eddie Graham and, you know, they, they took that stuff seriously to the point where, uh, you know, they wanted to uh, beat the hell out of anybody who would, uh, would call them out. So I'm sure that you were doing it on a platform like that must have drove him absolutely insane. Well, no, and I understand them wanting to protect the business, especially back then. But but don't leave a hole for me to drive the truck through. Exactly. And, and Ole did that. And so people remember that. And uh, they also remember I wrote an article when when Bill Watts and Dusty were both in, in, in WCW booking. They were both like, you know, had creative influence. And I wrote a thing for Keller Sheet, like a dueling Booker's parody, where, where, where Bill was trying to push his son Eric, and Dusty was trying to push his son Dustin, and it was just a, a farcical piece. It was actually pretty funny. So Watts went on his 900 number and said some just you know ridiculous things about me. I mean, stuff that could have been, you know, uh, a slander lawsuit, and I wanted to pursue it, but you know why bother? What I did do was this: I found an interview that Watts had done with Wade Keller, which was extremely racist in which he said, among other things, if I don't want to sell uh, fried chicken to black people in my restaurant, why the hell should I? It's my restaurant. So I took that, uh, that, uh, interview and I Xeroxed it and I faxed it to, to a uh, Hank Aaron. The I, thought that was was a, I thought that was you who did that. I was Googling that, was that earlier. Yeah. I thought that was you who, who did that. I faxed it to Hank Aaron and, uh, uh, you know, who was the vice president of TBS. And right. I think still maybe at least in a consulting capacity and they fired Bill Watts. Now I think they were to fire Bill Watts anyway, because things were going really bad. And he was doing stuff like urinating out his window and saying terrible things to his secretary. But, uh, but so that was the end of Bill Watts. And one of the reasons Eric hired me and he, he said it in so many words was bro, come work for us. You stop busting our balls. <laughs> and, and so I did, I just, him? If I just did the 900 number at first and it grew from there. If you can't beat him, join him. I love it. Eric's nothing but uh, honest. Uh, yeah, I, re I remember that whole, I was there, uh, not full time when the Watts uh, got fired. And um, yeah, you were, you were pretty much a hero to most people in that locker room. I'd have to say probably, <laughs> I'd have to say probably like Arn Anderson and Michael Hayes probably uh, would have bought you like uh, uh, a one year uh, gold uh, subscription to uh, uh, your favorite local adult. Uh, 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 well, I know, I know Pillman was happy because I was talking with Pillman even then. Yeah. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, you know, what's funny in a way, Pens, I'm not sorry I did it because Bill Watts was, a, was a, was a bad guy. And I always heard that, uh, you know, all the argument I always heard was, well, look what he did for black performers like junkyard dog. Well, yeah, except, you know, Bill exploited black performers to make a lot of money. 
And uh, I'm not so sure he didn't, you know, put them in racially stereotyped gimmicks that didn't do them any favors. Although, boy, dog, dog was over and made a lot of money. But, uh, but I always felt bad because, you know, I've gotten to be friends with Jim Ross, you know, uh, over the years. And, and I always know that in the back of uh, Jim's mind, he knows that I, I, I screwed Bill Watts. And, you know, Bill and Jim are real good friends. You know, Bill is Jim's wrestling father, really. So... I kind of feel bad about that, but Jim and I seem to get along okay, and I have nothing but the utmost admiration for Jim Ross. I mean, best announcer ever, a heck of a guy. Uh, you know, I went to high school with his late wife, Ben. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, no. Although we, we to say we knew each other, I mean, my high school had like, uh, we, were in the, we were in Shaler area high school right after a merger of four districts. So like my graduating class had literally like 800 people in it. So it wasn't like you knew everybody, but, you know, I reconnected with Jan years later and uh, she was wonderful and uh, Jim's a wonderful guy. And, you know, Jim will always be a Pittsburgh guy as far as I'm concerned because of the connection to Jan and to, to Jan's family. Yeah, I don't want to put words in Jim Ross mouth, but I, I, I would venture to say that there was a part of Jim, Jim Ross that was probably relieved when Bill Watts got fired. He came in as the savior because he, he did he, he did great storytelling as far as a booker and a, a, a promoter, you could talk about, you know, things he did, stereotype and all that. That's a whole different conversation. But some of the most exciting wrestling for, was uh, the Mid-South Wrestling uh, back in the, I, I'd say, uh, 83, 84. And, that's, um, that's arguably my favorite uh, promotion, Mid-South from that era. Yeah. I watched the tapes back then, and I still watch them once in a while now. Uh, so, the episodic storytelling yeah. And the very physical style of wrestling was was right up my alley. Yeah. So so when you know we were floundering and uh, and they announced he was coming in and it was like <clears throat> it was a little bit like when they announced Vince Russo was coming in later on, but that's a different story. I don't know which one soured first, but um, but yeah, then he started doing all this really dumb stuff. You can't jump off the top rope and where there's no mats around the ring, and he brought in guys that were not you know, the type of workers you think he'd bring in. And, and that thing soured pretty quickly. And, um, and tried to slash payroll like crazy. Well, yeah, I think he was getting paid a percentage of what he slashed. So, but he said, yeah, but like he told, I know he told Pillman that unless you take a pay cut, we're not going to use you very well or very much. And Pillman said, nah, deal's a deal, which is exactly what he should have said. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I think I'd venture to say, and, um, I've been, there's been times that we've been close to getting JR on the podcast here and, um, and, and for whatever reason or another, it just doesn't work out, but we're still trying to make it happen. But I, I'd ask him uh, that, and I'd venture to say that he was probably a little relieved because, you know, when, 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 when Watts started getting, when, when it didn't work and it was so opposite of what everybody was expecting, people started looking at Jim and saying, uh, what's up with your boy, with your guy, you know? And I think Jim might've gotten a little tired of, uh, of, of having to explain everything, you know, especially with the Eric push, uh, which would be why, which would be why, uh, Arn Anderson and, uh, and Michael Hayes would be, uh, you would be heroes to them because they went around the horn for, uh, for months uh, putting over. And Eric was a nice guy. He just got put in a position by his dad that nobody deserves to get put in. Well, well, right. And, uh, and unfortunately that nepotism is as old as wrestling itself. I remember uh, the thing, I, the first time I saw that was George and Nick Goulas. I think uh, Nick Goulas was the promoter in Tennessee and he pushed his kid, George and George was just terrible. Yeah. I mean, just terrible. 
but you know, that's how it goes sometimes. And, uh, you know, I don't think we see that as much today. I, I don't know. Maybe we do. Shane McMahon has been in a few WrestleMania, maybe not main events, but pretty close to the top. But, uh, but yeah, those, those, those were the days. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Eric Bischoff hired me for WCW just to, to, to get me in, in his corner. And I really liked Eric. I always refer to Eric as the best boss I ever had in any profession. I know a lot of people who work for Eric might disagree with that, but I got to tell you, he's the only boss I've ever worked for, except for my radio boss. Now, Eric's the only boss I ever worked for. I always knew where I stood with him. What I liked about Eric was sometimes if I thought I was right, I would yell back and he didn't, he, he didn't, you know, get mad about that. He wasn't made of glass. So there, there's a lot about working for Eric. I really liked and. Uh, when I talk to him or run into him today, I, I really enjoy seeing him. I have a lot of respect for him and admiration, and I like the guy. Yeah, I didn't really have much to do with him at the time, although we've connected uh, uh, in the last few years at some indie shows and, and conventions and stuff and, and had some nice talks and, and a couple of rounds of drinks. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I didn't – I. You know, back then I was so, you know, and I've talked about it a little bit. I was so afraid to lose my job because I was living my dream. And, you know, there aren't that many other places to go when you're living your dream in the wrestling business as a ring announcer. And so I, you know, and Eric used to say, I don't respect anybody that doesn't have an ego. And I really didn't have an ego. Um, <laughs> and you obviously had an ego and, and, and he was, I'm sure he was respected the hell out of you. He might not have liked it at the moment yelling back at him. Because that just shows that you had, you know, well, you had, it, it, oh. it didn't happen all the time either, Pens. But like the thing with 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 wrestling and me was, I mean, I, it was the time of my life. I had eight years in it, and I would not trade those eight years for the world. But I knew it was always going to be temporary for me. I knew once I got in radio, that was going to be the long term money. So even when uh, when I got fired by WCW, it it, it bothered me, but it, but it you know it it didn't wreck my life and. I talked to Jim Ross briefly about, you know, getting a shot at WWE, but uh, he pointed out that make you move up here, that make you quit radio. You'd hardly get paid anything. And I'm not even sure they want you anyway. So that was easy <laughs> for me to take. Exactly. Hey, before I forget, I will say the one thing about Nick Goulas, and there's not a lot of good people say about him, but he was smart enough to put his son who couldn't wrestle in a team with Bobby Eaton. Yep. The jet set. The jet set. Yep. <laughs> So he was smart. He was smart enough. He might have known his son was the shits, but he he knew he had to put him was one of the best in the world, and that was Bobby. Um, no question, Bobby. Bobby to this day, I think he throws the best worked punch ever. I think he might be the best tag team, pure tag team wrestler ever, and one of the nicest guys in the entire world. No question. No question. I love Bobby. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't. Um, so how did you, I, I know you came in, you were doing the 900, a little, uh, art, some articles for WCW Magazine, probably the website, although I don't remember, because uh, I was uh, I was on the road 25 days a, uh, a year, a month, and there were no cell phones, so I didn't have time to look at a website. But um, when, when did you start hearing uh, that, that they wanted you to do color commentary, and what were your thoughts about that? You're pretty well, that, outspoken, that so. That took a long time to have happen. That only happened the last year I was there out of eight. The progression was I, I did the 900 number. I wrote for the magazine. Uh, then when the internet started to get big, WCW utilized the internet better than any wrestling company ever. And that includes today. We had that nightly talk show, WCW Live over internet real audio. 
Right. It was the first of its kind. It's still the best of its kind. Like all these guys who do podcasts today, none of them are as good as WCW Live was because we had radio professionals doing it. We had me and Borash, right. who, who's a genius who who doesn't get enough credit for the stuff he's done uh, anywhere he's been, whether it's TNA or now with NXT and WWE. But it, it was a great show, and uh, we used to do some real audio. Uh, you know, we would do house shows that were sold out. I'd do color and. Somebody like Gene or Lee Marshall or or, uh, or Chad Damiani would do play-by-play. So that was a big part of my existence there, was doing all that internet stuff. That was especially true for the last uh, two or three years. Even when I did TV, I did that internet stuff. Then, um, and, and I'm going to tell the truth about this because I'm tired of people not. Uh, the reason I got to do color was because Bill Bush and Kevin Sullivan called me on a Monday morning. It said, hey, we want you to do color tonight. We're in Wilkes-Barre, PA, which is five hours away uh, by driving from Pittsburgh. But I got a flight. I got like a, a flight made to the show on time. And the reason they wanted me to do it is because Bobby Heenan was too impaired to do live TV, and they didn't trust him anymore. Just... And the reason I say that is because, you know, Bobby made big jokes at my expense. So they wanted somebody who looked more MTV. That was Russo. wasn't Russo, and it wasn't because I looked uh, – more MTVs, he sarcastically said, and then got the big belly laugh going. It's because Bobby was impaired, and that's a fact. They trust him to tape TV, so that's how I got my break. Now, whether I was good or not, it's for other people to decide. I thought I was okay. I thought that was a real bad product at the time. It, it, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses, but it was a wrestling product, and its death rattled. So that's how I got my chance. I did my best, and uh, like I said, that was the time of my life. I liked working with... Uh, Tony Schiavone, who's the all-time, you know, hidden gem of the wrestling profession. I'm glad he's back doing wrestling with AEW because I've always felt the three best play-by-play guys ever were Ross, Schiavone, and Lance Russell. But because Schiavone's era paralleled Ross's, I don't think Tony's ever got the credit he very richly deserves. So, loved working with him, loved working with Hudson, loved working with Bobby at the time. You know, because Bobby was still doing Thunder, Oakland, Today, all those guys. They were great guys. But but that's what happened. That's the real story. Did uh, were you around when we had the uh, trailer, the announcer's trailer? Yes, yes, I was. I, I I talk about that all the time, both on the podcast and and you know if I'm talking to somebody because that was like you just go in there, it would be uh, Zabisco, Shivani, Lee Marshall, Bobby Heenan, Gene Okerlund. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Probably they're missing somebody. You, I get obviously, and um, and, and I, they just tell stories for two hours, and it'd be no, the it was most, great. Entertaining, I, I, most entertaining thing in the world. I treasure those memories too. I'll tell you a funny story from the trailer. I don't know if you were here for this. I don't know if you knew this, but you know Scott Hudson didn't get paid a lot. I did not know that. I'm sure. The he reason got paid, being, I bet he got. The, I bet he got paid more than I did. Well, here's the reason he he didn't get paid much. You know, he, he does that, that thing for the FBI where he's like an adjudicator, right? A federal adjudicator. Right. And he he gets so much money for that. Okay, Hudson, I saw him at one of those StarCast fan conventions, right, for AEW. Right. And he, he's a great guy. Like I said, I, I enjoyed working with him. Scott owns a house on a lake in Georgia. You know who one of his neighbors is? Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers quarterback. How much, do you think that, how much do you think that house costs? So Scott never, you know, bothered them for a lot of money. I think he got paid like a grand a week or something like that. But, but he did, you know, a bunch of tape shows. He did, you know, the, the, you know, raw with me. I think he did raw. 
He did the Nitro with me. He did Thunder for a while, I think. He was kind of the jack-of-all-trades, and because his job, you know, let him come and go, despite its responsibility, he was, you know, available. So anyway, one day in the trailer, Okerlund starts uh, bitching at Hudson because he doesn't make enough money. And we think he's, like, kind of kidding, right? But Okerlund's voice starts rising and rising. He goes, God damn it, you don't make hardly any money. That keeps the money for the rest of us down. You're cheating all of us. And I'm thinking, he's not kidding. He's really mad. Then Bobby chimes in and starts yelling at him for the same thing. And before you know it, you didn't have to, like, get between them. But, like, I'm going, some of the other guys going, guys, calm down. But it was really heated. Those guys were really hot. It was like a, a tense situation. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. Yeah, that was I, – I actually have a vague memory of that. I think I was there, or at least I heard about it for sure. But, um, but yeah, no, hey, as, as, as much as I love uh, Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund and I miss them dearly, uh, too, I mean, t- 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 for me, as growing up as a kid watching uh, uh, Tuesday Night Titans or uh, whatever that talk show was called, to be able to to say that I got to spend got to be friends with me, Gene Oakland, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. It's no probably question. One of the coolest two, things. Two but- absolute legends. The, the one criticism I will offer of them, though, they came to WCW because WCW paid a lot more, but they always acted like it was the minor leagues. Uh, Bobby more than, uh, I think Bobby more than, um, than Gene, but yeah, they were, what I was going to say, the one thing is they were serious about their money. They did. If anybody's messing with their money, uh, you got a problem. So, uh, so I can imagine that happening. Um, so you talked about Eric Bischoff and how much you like working under him. Talk to me about Vince Russo. Were you a Vince Russo guy or not so much? You're kind of just, I like Vince as a guy. And I think he has some real creative ideas. He needs an editor as evidenced by his success in WWE when he had an editor. But when he got us and everything got on TV, you know, uh, no matter what's a good idea or bad, it it just, he he went too far. Now I will say the first run he had uh, where he came in him and Ferrara unexpectedly, he did really well. The ratings did really well in that time too, but then they took him off and brought him back and he wasn't nearly as effective. The, uh, the, the second time around. I'm a fan of Vince's creativity. Again, I think he needed an editor. I think if he would have had an editor when he booked us, uh, it, it would have been a lot better. Well, he had an editor in TNA for a while, and I, we just know how that went. But uh... Well, yeah, I mean, I, but maybe he had done it too long by then. I hesitate to criticize the guy because he was the one of the driving creative influences behind the biggest boom period in wrestling history with the attitude era, but uh, everything runs its course. But I, I, I like the guy. I, I think it's a shame now that he feels like challenged to defend himself at every turn, like with his podcast and the way he tweets and stuff like that. One, one thing about him and Ferrara that I used to, I used to always kind of roll my eyes at. They thought they were really funny and they're not funny at all. They're kind of like New York mean spirited funny, but they're just not funny. And they tried to write a lot of humor into the shows, and nobody would tell them that it wasn't funny. But they just aren't funny. Not, not. Let me, let me uh, edit myself for a second. Like Ed Ferrara in the bar telling jokes is one of the funniest guys. Ever. I was gonna, I was gonna say he's funny, but I, I get what you're saying as far as uh, in the storylines. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, but he he is a funny guy. So, but no, I, I wasn't anti-Russo at all. He gave me, uh, you know, uh, you know when he came in, him and Eric. 
when they replaced Bush and Sullivan, they could have replaced me. They, they kept me on and uh, I'm grateful for that. But, uh, you know, some of the stuff he like was, he did was way out. I mean, if you want to talk about the match with Oakland now, I don't know if you recall how that went down. I don't, I don't, but I, I, I did watch the match from Kamloops. I'll never forget being in Kamloops. That's one thing I'll never forget. Well, the first match was me and Chris Cannon against Bagwell and Okerlund. And I took Buck's finisher, by the way. And uh, I'm, I'm oh, proud of that because it wasn't, it wasn't the, the blockbuster. It wasn't the worst thing ever. And I forget what we did to build up to that match. But then Okerlund and I had the, uh, had the uh, singles match, which was just horrifically bad, all-time bad. But why wouldn't it be? I mean, neither of us should have been in there. Neither of us wanted to be in there. But we both, you know, were, were doing what we were told. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story from the Oakland match. Uh, Arn was the agent, right? Oh, geez. And uh, I'm getting ready to go through the curtain. And Arn looks at me and goes, no, he goes, Gene's an old guy. I want you to make sure you take care of him out there. And I go, no problem, Arn. Hey, by the way, who's going to take care of me? <laughs> and that got the Arn, you know, the double take and the, and the, and the wry smile. But, uh, but the way that was supposed to go, Dave, and, and I've told this story a couple times. Remember at the end, Pam Paulshock came in and nutshotted me to set up the pin? Yes, I remember. Well, the next week, I was supposed to wrestle her. I kind of remember that, gonna, actually, now. It all comes back to me. I was going to beat her and declare myself intergender champion like Andy Kaufman. And then I would have wrestled girls every week, and uh, Russo wanted me to, like, every hole would have been, like, a suggested position. I was supposed to act like I was turned on by wrestling the hot women. And it would have been really perverted and skeevy. And at the end of it, I would have lost to Medusa. And as Russo said, now at the end of this, Medusa is going to kick the shit out of you. And you know how she works. She's really going to kick the shit out of you. She can't help herself, but, you know, that's just how it's going to go. But then the next week I, I get to TV and it all got canceled, which I was fine with. It got canceled because standards and practices didn't want any uh, man-on-woman violence. I remember and that's that. fine by me, but that was what was supposed to happen. I remember that. At least you took Pamela pa- uh, Paulshock out of the uh, out of the uh, ring announcer. The, the, the thing that it's a, it's funny. They made her ring announcer for Thunder for a while, and I could care less. It gave me a day. I, I thought it would give me a day off. I wasn't taking a pay cut. She wasn't talented enough to be a threat to me. She looked good, and she did an okay job. But so. I was like, they were like, do you mind if we put, I'm like, no, no, it gives me a day off and no no worries. But she was so bad the first time she went out there that every time after it was about a month or six weeks, they made me sit out there and coach her the whole time. And I'm going, (laughs) I'm going, wait a second. I went from getting the day off to having to now work to help a girl who doesn't know what she's doing to 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 be a better ring announcer and and I'm not getting any time off. I'm working harder. So it was it was, it was I, right. It was a harder job than actually ring announcing. I don't know if you remember this. Remember when they tried to make Tylene Buck the interview girl? Yes, I do. Oh, what a disaster that was. Tylene Buck. I haven't I haven't heard about I haven't thought about her in a while. Interesting. Major movie. guns. Um, Major guns. Uh, yeah, I mean you know the, the a lot of the women back then were what they were. They had some talent. Pam Paul Shock. Um, well, her husband, Roger Lodge, hosted that, uh, what was that? Uh, it was like a love connection type of show. Oh, I didn't but know. I always, thought, I always thought those women were talented that we have, but they, they weren't really used as anything more than TNA. And uh, thank heavens wrestling moves, has moved past that with the women because 
My favorite part of WWE's show is, is Rick's daughter and Sasha Banks and Bailey and uh, Oscar. I think that's the best. Actually, outside of Jericho and a few of the things in AEW, I think WWE's women are the best thing about uh, wrestling today. Yeah, and I wish you could see. I know you don't get the channel, and I, I wish you could see uh, Impact Wrestling. They have a hell of a roster, too. Um, not as well known, but uh, uh, up and coming, a lot of up and coming women that have been on the independent scene for a long time, and uh, it's getting pretty good, too, as well. But I agree well, with you with WWE. I'm a big fan of Tessa Blanchard. It's a shame she's leaving you guys, but I'm going to be curious to see where she goes. I love Britt Baker on uh, AEW, and I think that uh, Penelope Ford, who I'd never heard of before she uh, became Kip Sabian's valet, and now she's wrestling, I think she's an excellent talent as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Tessa, but uh, I, I have, I have, I, I don't know what happened there, so I'm not even going to say anything about it, but um, uh, you know, it is what it is, and unfortunately, uh, it would have been nice to get her to come in and, and do the pay-per-view, but it wasn't in the cards, so you move on. Um, you mentioned about Medusa kicking the crap out of you. Uh, that didn't happen, but Tank Abbott did. Uh, talk to me about that. Who's idea? Was that a Russo idea? Well, that was in Denver, and it was the first nitro of the restart when Bischoff and Russo took over. I thought, I think the young blood, uh, not the young blood, the new blood angle might have uh, debuted that night. You know, with the old guys against the young guys, the new blood against, uh, what did they call it? The Millionaire's Club, Mill I think. Millionaire's Club, yeah. Millionaire's Club. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was a Russo idea. I think uh, Eric's the one who, who told me about it, though, but uh, I didn't mind doing it, and Tank was as light as a feather. I thought it... Uh, came off pretty good. The funny part was that Jimmy Hart gimmicked my, I, was, I wasn't wearing the Hawaiian shirt yet. I was wearing the, the suits, right? Right. And Jimmy Hart gimmicked my dress shirt. He cut it from shoulder to shoulder. Uh, so Tank was going to rip it off me. Now, when Tank yanked on the collar of my shirt, the shirt held, and to show how strong Tank is, he lifted me just about off the ground by my shirt. Oh, my God. Which is pretty incredible. But, yeah, that was... Uh, uh, I, I couldn't do it now, but it was fun then, and it was a it was a uh, very notorious moment. Uh, I will say though, the first thing I said when they wanted me to do it was, "You're taking me off TV, aren't you?" You know what I mean? They're going to beat the hell yeah. out of me that I don't come back on TV, right? Yeah, it, may, it makes sense for sure. Yeah, and I and they go, "No, no, you'll you'll be back uh, next week." And I go, "Listen, I go if I'm not going to be, tell me because I I know this is how you take guys off TV." And they said, "No," and sure enough, I was back the next week. Uh, they made up my eye with a black eye so I could, uh, you know, I could show the damage. But, uh, no, I had no problem with that at all. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny because people will, uh, you know, call my radio show or, or tweet me making fun of me for that. And I always tweet back, well, you know, I was on national TV getting paid a pretty good buck to do that. And if you have a problem with it, I certainly don't. And like I said, Tank, Tank, you see, Tank was totally insane back then, as I'm sure you remember. Yep. But, but he took care of me. I really liked the guy. Um, I ran into him at one of those StarCasts recently, and we had a good laugh over everything that happened. Uh, he's had some health problems, but I think he's doing okay right now from what I saw. And uh, I do remember this. Uh, a guy from Pittsburgh, I don't know if you know this name, Sean Casey. He was a major league first baseman, played for the Cincinnati Reds at the time. Big wrestling fan. Dimitri Young, outfielder for the Reds. Big wrestling fan. Ken Griffey Jr., I hung out with Dimitri Young a bunch of times at uh, after a TNA. He would come down when they were in spring training in Orlando. 
uh, and Ken Griffey Jr. was a wrestling fan. So when I came back through the curtain after Tank kills me, yeah. I didn't know they were there. All those guys were waiting for me. They were laughing and saying, oh, man, uh, what, a, what a great, a great uh, angle. And so and uh, Dimitri Ungos, he goes, man, if that would have lasted any longer, we were going to come out there and help you. And right <laughs> then Tank walked by and Tank goes, that would have been the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> It looked like the first smack across the face hurt you a little bit. I'm glad he was like, Oh yeah. Oh, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I got a bloody nose out of it. I turned the wrong way. Yeah. I, I expected, something. I expected the other hand and I got that hand, but, uh, but let's face it. Pens, I'm not a seasoned, you know, performer. I just did my best, but yeah, I was put it this way. The Okerman stuff I hated. I'm almost embarrassed to watch it. And that's no knock on Gene. Certainly it's a knock on the situation. Uh, but, uh, but I, I did like the tank Abbott thing. Uh, by the way, I, I want to mention that I am actually kind of glad that my only tag team match was with Canyon as my partner. Cause I really liked Chris. Uh, it's a shame, you know, he, he, he was depressed and what happened happened, but I thought he was a great guy and a great performer. One of the most underrated guys we had in WCW. I'm sure you would agree. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Great guy and a uh, fantastic talent. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the one thing whenever I think of Tank Abbott uh, is, I don't know if you were hanging around the bar after the matches, but um, uh, vodka on the rocks with a side little glass of uh, cranberry juice and a bar straw. And he'd take one, the, put the straw in the cranberry juice. He'd hold the top of the straw. Yep, and put- yep that's right. <laughs> So you could tell what was important to me. I can't remember the matches, but I can remember what the people drank. Well, yeah, he, he, you're right, though. He reversed the concept of the sidecar. <laughs> exactly. He made the mixture the sidecar. Exactly. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, when I say, like, I mean, like a tiny little bar bar straw, you know, one of those ones that, you, like, you chew on sometimes. Um, yeah, no, he, he, was a, he was an amazing guy, very unique, and uh, I, I enjoyed working with him. That was fun. So... You, it's, it says you got fired because you were talking about the end of WCW and, and WCW going out of business. I, I know that, that, uh, that you, it, that you have said, and it really doesn't matter actually, but you had said that you stopped doing that way before you got fired. And it was just, uh, you know, you were a scapegoat, whatever. The whole thing was falling apart as we know in hindsight, did you have inside information about the company going out of business? No, no, I didn't. But, but, you know, you could kind of see the writing on the wall. There were all the rumors flying around at that point by the time of my last show. Uh, no, a guy who really screwed me up was this hack journalist named Mike Mooneyham, who writes in Carolina. Right, I know Mike. He, he called the 900 number and got quotes from me and printed them in his article like he had interviewed me. So they were mad because I had done an unauthorized interview. And I told them that I, it was the 900 number, and they just didn't want to hear that because, like I said, they wanted – an excuse to get rid of me at that point. Hey, I'm going to be honest. I got fired because I had a big blow up with Paige backstage the last show because uh, he and I, you know, he was pissed off because I was a heel announcer, but I wouldn't baby face for him. You know, he, he, he thought I was too hard on him, which is ridiculous. But, you know, Paige almost always got his own way in, in WCW just because people wanted to, you know, finally shut him up. I mean, if you give somebody their own way, it's like the baby. If you give him his own way, he'll stop crying. So uh, Paige and I had kind of a blow-up uh, backstage that night. Scott Steiner and Paige had a bigger blow-up that involved Kim. So uh, I, I do hold Paige responsible for that, but honestly, Pens, I don't care anymore. 
I was pissed about it for a long time, but Sean Waltman said to me uh, one day, because we still communicate, he said, do you still have heat with Paige? And I go, yeah, why? And he goes, isn't life too short for that? And I said, yeah, you're right. So I saw Paige at one of the star casts, and, you know, we, we made good, which is fine by me. When I got fired, I was really, like, acting like a dick backstage for quite a while because I thought the product was so bad. It was. And one of the fired, it was. And Kevin Nash called me up and goes, bro, he goes, you got fired because you were tired of doing it. That's why you acted on. He's right. He's probably right. That said, I wish I would have hung on till the end because I would have liked to have been there that last night when Shane McMahon showed up. I bet that was wild. Uh, but uh, WWE would not have had any interest in me. I like you know, like I said, I talked to Ross briefly, which I'm not even sure he would remember. But I don't look the part for them. I didn't even look the part for us. But Bush and Sullivan were kind enough to give me a shot. Yeah, I, I, I I'm not kissing your ass because you're on my podcast. I enjoyed it. It was it was different. It was a different kind of character. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, it was a heel character, but a different kind of heel character that told it like it, it was, was just so hard to do pens because the product was, was, was fading so fast. Like I remember, this is one of those examples of me yelling at Eric. Uh, remember the Viagra on a pole match? I'll never, I, I will. Unfortunately, I will never forget it. That and Judy Bagel. Well, first off, my commentary during Viagra on a pole was unbelievable. Okay. It was hilarious. It made a mockery of it, but it was hilarious. Okay. Like if you if like sometimes I go on YouTube and I have a a blog for my radio station I will put that match on the blog once a year. I'm gonna, hey, the, I'm gonna look out. it up. I'm gonna look it up tonight. So so Eric comes in afterwards and goes to me. He goes, uh, "Man, you just made that an absolute farce. What are you thinking about?" I go, "Really? I made the Viagra on a pole <laughs> match into an absolute farce? Well, shame on me." I go, "The next time I'll call it like Rogers and O'Connor at Kaminsky Park." <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, and he looks at me, he goes, you know what? You're absolutely right. You walked out. No, no, there, there was nothing you could have done. It, it, it was it had fallen apart by that point. I, well, you, you know what, Penn, to be, to be fair, though, here's the criticism of me that was fair. I did heal too hard on guys, and I, I didn't know how to do it. Like, where Bobby was a really good heel color guy, Bobby, when he would, like, complain about Hulk Hogan, would say this Hulk Hogan, he can't be beat. Who the hell does he think he is? You know, he would put him over, but, but heal on him too, right? Right. Whereas I would say, hey, Hulk Hogan looks like, you know, looks like he should be wearing luggage tags for earrings. Yeah, you know, sort of like so the Howard Stern of, uh, of, of wrestling. Well, right, but, but that doesn't do the talent any good, so I no, do no, see you're... the point that people made about that. I, that. That's the thing that got Paige real mad, by the way. Paige came out one time, and I said, why is he wearing that leather mask? Oh, oh wait, that's his face. That I remember. I'll never forget. Um, he wasn't real happy. Terry no. Taylor wasn't happy either. I got no. suspended for a week for that one. But uh, I got suspended for a week for uh, for being in a Delta flight and rolling Scott Steiner a, a bottle of uh, vodka from first class to coach. So uh, if, when Scott Steiner's sitting in coach and you're sitting in first class and Scott Steiner tells you to roll him back a bottle, you roll him back a bottle. But I got. I'm I got, wait, you were in first class. Did You didn't get heat for that? I probably did. I got heat for everything. You remember? But I, uh, I, got, I, I know. I got heat sometimes for being in first class when an upgrade because they didn't think you know I should be doing that. When I say they, I mean the generic they, and nobody would get too mad for too long. Yeah, I mean Steiner took it in stride. He was in the he was in the the, the first row on the the the, the aisle seat, and uh, he was like, "Penzer, you're in first class, and I'm in coach," and I'm like. <laughs> I said, I put the miles in, I'm, you know, I, I was automatic. As soon as I got my ticket, it was automatic. I didn't even have to call. They just upgraded. 
So I uh, remember when I remember the first night I was doing TV. The first night Scott had the white hair and beard. Yeah, and I got along with Scott because I was scared to death of him. So I oh, I that. was I was too. I had him on the podcast, and he he hasn't changed one bit. I was in Atlanta so, when he almost died for that impact taping. One of the scariest things. Oh I've ever right, done. right. Well, we no, almost, it's funny we almost like, lost I, we almost lost him for sure. Well, Scott did an appearance here at a pirate game. They brought in a bunch of old wrestlers. So I went down there and, you know, he, I always liked Scott, but he is, he is, you're right. He's the same guy. But I remember when he got the white hair with the beard, with the, with the goatee, uh, I called him white thunder. Oh. And he comes backstage and goes, Hey, knock it off with that goddamn white thunder shit. You make me sound like a goddamn Nazi. <laughs> so I said, don't worry, buddy. Never happened again. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, reliving the last year of WCW is is not the highlight. They, it was funny. I don't know if you remember this in the m- match with you and Gene. They made they kept making Shivani on the from the truck call it the ma- uh, match of the millennium. And as I, uh, it- I I do vaguely remember that. You know, the guy I felt worse for during the during the death rattle was Tony, because Tony was a lifer there. I don't think anybody took more pride in the product over the long term than Tony did. And that last year, he was like a prisoner of war. Uh, I remember there would be breaks, you know, commercial breaks where he would just take off his headset and his glasses and put his head down on the table and, and, and put his head, hands behind his head. So it was like, I don't know if he was legitimately depressed, but he was legitimately discouraged for sure. Yeah, he had, he, he, he was burnt out. You know, he was, he was, as you know, he did every show. He was a produce, executive producer. Uh, he had a whole staff of production people that worked for him and reported to him. And uh, he was just burnt out. And the product was so bad. And it was obvious that if we were going nowhere fast and even more frustrating because four years earlier, we were selling out every freaking place you, you, you put in front of us whether it had 20,000 seats or 40,000 seats or whatever. So it's just, uh, I, 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 you know, I'm like Sean Waltman. I life's too short. So I, I, I've wiped away right. a lot of the negative and I just remember the positive, but the negative was pretty bad, man. It was, you know uh, what though, Penn, I sincerely believe given chance and I was gone by then, but I'll always think of WCW as my team given chance. Uh, we could have regrouped and uh, we could have regrouped and, and, and put together a pretty good promotion again with a lower payroll, but uh, you see, I know there's all kinds of theories about the demise of WCW. I think that TBS, Jamie Kellner just decided he didn't want wrestling on TV anymore. And the fact that we had lost a lot of money in a short time made that easy to do. Yeah. I've come to realize that as well. I didn't know that back at the time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was not only did he decide it was a foregone conclusion, like probably from six months out, they just didn't know that the only thing they didn't know is he'd sell it the entire library so cheap to Vince McMahon and uh, not even give Bischoff a chance to do anything because they just didn't even want it on TV. But um, well, did, yeah, did you read that book, Nitro? I did read it, and I actually hosted at the first Starcast. I hosted a panel with uh, about the death of WCW, and Eric was on it. Kevin Sullivan was on it. Um, uh, Originally, it was going to be Brian Alvarez who wrote the book, but it was uh, R.D. Reynolds who was his co-writer. And, no, no, uh, no. That's this is a different book. You're thinking about the book called The no, Death no, of no, WCW. No, 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 no. I know there's two books. One's by a Gus guy that worked with um, Neil Pruitt, and the other one is uh, right. the other one is uh, R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. But that that, that was why that it was sort of uh, right when that uh, second book came out. And yeah, he spoke to like. People I didn't even remember that worked in corporate. And um, well, 
the, the Nitro book was much better. I didn't like the Wrestle Crap book, the uh, Death of WCW. There was too much hearsay in there. But the, the Nitro book, he talked to everybody, like you said. He had quotes from guys. I didn't even know what they did or who they were, but, but, but it, it was excellent. One of the better wrestling books, most factual, kind of dry, but one of the most factual wrestling books I've ever read. The only thing is I about uh, about half into the last chapter, I got distracted and stopped reading it, and I never read it again, and I think that there's a part of me that doesn't want to have to relive it. Uh, so I, Oh, I know what you mean. So, uh, you know, that was tough when that last – you said you wanted to be at that last night show. I could see you wanting to be there, but that was tough. You know, you had a gig uh, to go back to on the radio, so and that was good for you. That you had oh, to- I know, I know, and I always knew that would be my – my long-term thing. That's why I never quit radio, even when I did WCW. And Pens, I got to tell you, that made for some for some long weeks. I mean, because um, I don't know if you remember this, but but the last uh, the, the, before I was on TV, the two years before that, I came to every Nitro and pay per view to do the internet stuff. Right. So I would work every weekend for three years, and I was doing radio shows uh, five days a week. So. They gave me, my, my radio station gave me a portable studio to take the nitro that you could plug into a phone line. I did the radio show from backstage. I, I'm sure you remember, you know, seeing that once in a while. Yeah, so yeah, for three, for three years, the only days I had off were vacation days during the week from work. But by the same token, I can't complain because it, you know, I'll be honest to pay for my house. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Plus you had a blast, I'm sure. And you know, we all you got know, Time of my life, and like like I always tell people, I've said this to a few of the athletes I I, uh, I work with, like Sidney Crosby and so forth. You know, uh, I think the most fun thing about being a pro athlete is being on a team. Those eight years I was on a team, it was the same thing, and I loved it. Sidney Crosby actually uh, played youth hockey with my two brother-in-laws. In, is that uh, right? Where? Up in Nova Scotia? Yeah, my wife's from uh, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Oh, no kidding. Yes, it's from Cole Harbor. I bet that's right down the road. Yeah, they played together. Uh, that's about as cl- that's about as much as, uh, about hockey as I know. Um, you know who Sid's favorite wrestler is? Who, who, who's favorite wrestler? Sid Crosby's uh, favorite Sidney wrestler. Cros- no, who is it? I didn't know he was Kevin a wrestler. Kevin Nash. Is he? Yep. Kevin's hilarious. I said, uh, I know him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one of my favorite parts about working in TNA the first time was um, me and Mike Tanay and Don West would uh, – after lunch between before we had to get ready for the show uh, would sit in the uh, room where we had the production meetings. There's a big conference table with these uh, comfortable chairs and Nash would come in and, and talk to us for about, you know, just tell us stories and make us laugh for about an hour every day. It was he's, uh, he's the funniest guy ever. Let yeah. me, let me tell you, Pens, there is stuff, there are messages. I still talk to Kev today and there are messages he's left on my answer machine. <laughs> that would, would there I could never repeat them, but they're so unbelievable that I I'll, I'll never forget them either. I begged him to be on the podcast because I had Scott Hall on, and Scott was great, and he just looked at me finally and said, "Penzer, I'm not interested, and you know me. If I'm not interested, I'm not going to be good. It's not going to be funny, and you're not going to get what you want." And I said, "You know what, Kevin? You're absolutely right." Because uh, yeah, you know what Kev's ideal for? He comes on a radio show sometimes. If he has to do ten minutes, it's perfect. Yeah, he told me he'd come talk politics, but I didn't want to talk. I don't usually it's, talk it's politics. A, when he does 10 minutes, it's a ride. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's hilarious. But if he's not going to if he's not gonna enjoy himself, he's not going to be funny, and it would be a waste of everybody's time. Hey, I heard that uh, 
I saw that you're an AEW fan. Um, yeah, I think it's a really good product. I mean, you know, Jericho's like the last guy I work with. I think that's still working at least full time or whatever his schedule is. But I think he's brilliant. I think he's the best all around performer in wrestling right now. There's a bunch of young guys I like. Uh, I think MJF's terrific. I like uh, Jungle Boy. I like Luchasaurus. I love Sammy Guevara, but he's had some problems now. I hope that doesn't cancel him because. Uh, and, and by the way, that whole thing where he said what he said, and I give Sasha Banks a lot of credit because she was very gracious about it. And the fact that she talked to Sammy and accepted his apology probably gave Sammy some kind of future in the business whenever that resumes. But uh, I like the guys' pens that I haven't seen before. Uh, there are some guys who just got let go by by by, by WWE who, you know, like maybe they wind up in, in Impact, maybe they wind up in A&E, but I don't actually want to see the recycled guys. I want to see the new guys. And AEW has given me uh, a lot of that. And, and plus you got uh, Shivani, Ross, and I like, what's the kids? Uh, Excalibur. Excalibur. I like the announcing team too. So uh, there's a lot about that show I really like. But my, my, my favorite performer is Jericho, and I love watching Rick's daughter too. I, I'm just so proud of what she's done. I've literally known her since she was a little girl. Me too. And uh, she's just brilliant. She's she's the best female performer ever. And that says a lot because her dad's the best male performer ever. Absolutely. I agree with that. And um, you still keep in touch with Rick. How's his health doing? I talk with Rick all the time. Yeah, he's doing better. I mean, like he had the, the big scare a couple of years ago, but he's doing better. Uh, you know, you saw him on TV this week. He looks, you know, pretty good. I think he looks real good for a, I mean, I have to remind myself he's 71. So. I think he could pass for a guy in his fifties. Now I was at his uh, 70th birthday party a couple years ago in Atlanta. That was every oh. bit the ride you would think it was. Uh, I heard, I heard he had, um, uh, God, who are the cele- bunch of uh, sports celebrities and famous Todd Gurley, Dennis Rodman, Evander yeah. Holyfield, Charles Barkley, a bunch yeah. of rappers. I know and Jer- a ton of wrestling guys. I know Jericho was there. I heard about it from him and I know Joe, Go- <laughs> Joe Gomez, who's a good friend of mine. Joe I know Gomez. I, I saw him. I hadn't seen him in years. It was so good to see him. What a great guy. Yeah, Joe's, Joe's uh, he's like a uh, king here in Tampa. Uh, he knows everybody. He's like, I love the sushi place. What was it? Sushi on 7th? Sushi on 7th. Yes, sir. Great and, place. Uh, I love Joe. If you see him, Penzer, tell him you saw me. And I really, I really like Joe a lot. Yeah, uh, forget- I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who I reconnected with at that party that was hilarious. I'm standing next to the bar. Rick's not there yet, right? Because Rick came late to be surprised. Right. And there's this like looming presence to my left. And he taps on the shoulder and goes, hey, man, announcer guy, right? Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Didn't remember my name, but remember what I did. And then we talked for a few minutes. I always thought he was a marvelous guy to work with. And I think one of the most amazing things that happened in wrestling during WCW's big run was when Rodman Malone had a scuffle on the court during the NBA finals. And it was prearranged by us to plug their tag match in the pay-per-view a month later, which sold 1.5 million buys. We compromised the NBA finals, Benger. (laughs) How about that? How popular were we? (laughs) We compromised the tonight show too with Jay Lennon. Yeah. But nobody bet on the tonight show. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I, I really wish I could have been at that party. Forget all the celebrities. Any party with the Nasty Boys, Fit Finley, Chris Jericho, and Joe Gomez is a party you want to be at. I sat, I sat with Fit for the best part of an hour, and we hammered him down. One of my, fa- one of my favorite people in the entire world. And Fit's one yeah. of the best ever. Like, again, I was glad to reconnect with a lot of guys. 
I mean, even Mrs. Jericho, the lovely Jess Nesman, I hadn't seen her in ages. So uh, that was the, the time of uh, time of my life there. I'll, I'll tell you, by the way, I want to get back to this story. Because I consider uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall two really close friends. Sean Waltman, too, that group of guys. Right. Let me, I don't know if you remember this story. In 1996 or 97, I forget when it was, I was doing the 900 number in the magazine, and I said something on the 900 number one of the vice presidents didn't like. Nobody who was there all the time, and he just happened here, right? Nick Lambros, maybe? No, I was friends with Lambros, but oh, anyway. I couldn't, I couldn't stand Lambros. So, well, anyway, I got fired, whoever it was, right? I got fired, and, uh, and Nash calls me up. He goes, listen. And this was during the height of the NWO uh, invasion, right? Sure. Nash goes, listen, don't take a job anywhere else. We'll take care of this. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? He goes, just trust me. We'll take care of this. So uh, Paul Heyman called me up, and we talked. But, you know, they, there just wasn't much money there with ECW at the time. You know what I mean? And, right. and, I, and I would have felt bad asking for it because, you know, they weren't paying their boys very much, right? But So I, I relied on Nash. And, and what those two did was, I swear to God, height of the NWO invasion, they refused to do any media because I got fired. They wouldn't do interviews. They just refused to do it. They were uncooperative. And they said, you got to bring Madden back. Madden's the guy. We need him here. So after about three weeks, I get a call from, uh, from Tom Hunt. Remember Tom Hunt? Yes, sir. He says, bro, we're bringing you back. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, your boys, they're making our lives impossible. He goes, they want you back, so you're coming back. And you know what I did? How, how, how much did I learn in wrestling fans? I go, well, I don't know. I have other offers. I don't know if I can come back for the same money. Okay? And I got a 75% raise. Wow. Well, you know. But really, because you know how wrestling is. Yeah. How often would, it, would guys do that for you? And I was just some borderline, I'd have the number guy, but those guys were my friends, and I'll never forget that. Never, ever forget that. That's like, you know, they got mad at me. Uh, and I think they gave this as one reason I got fired, because I would talk about Scott when Scott was off TV. Right. I would do that again and again and again for Scott Hall. No problem. Yeah, no. Uh, back in those days, even today, those are uh, if you're going to have a, a, gr a group that's gonna, of guys that's going to stand up for you on principle, that's a pretty good group to have. No Can't question. So I, I, I owe those guys a lot. Like I said... I don't talk to a ton of guys, but you know how that goes. Whenever you see guys, it's like the same old routine right away. Like, uh, like when I see Arn at the Starcast and stuff like that, you know, uh, just, you know, it, 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 like I said, Benzer, I can't say enough. It was the time of my life. I enjoyed those eight years more than anything else I've done. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you as far as I'm concerned. Hey, um, uh, I appreciate your time and the great stories. And uh, Glad and to hope, do it. Glad to do I it. Hope, nice to reconnect. Let me know yeah, what's going on once in a while. I hope you're wrong about baseball but and, and right about football. But um, I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, just if you wanted to give me a few words on the uh, Chris Archer trade that the Pittsburgh Pirates made a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it, you know what's funny? I uh, – I put poll, I put polls up on my Twitter once in a while for listeners to vote. Yeah. I said uh, I said is the Chris Archer trade the worst trade in Pittsburgh sports history? Because Glasnow and uh, and Meadows are pretty good players, right? And there's a and your number one pitching prospect. Oh, that's right. What's his name? Babs? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen to this. Normally for those polls, I get four thousand to five thousand votes, right? For that poll, I got fourteen thousand votes. Ninety percent <laughs> of the people said yes. I couldn't believe it, man. When I saw, and I'm not a baseball aficionado, but I've been a, Ray, uh, a Rays fan uh, for a while now. And um, 
And I, I couldn't believe it because, look, I, I knew what you were going to get in Archie. You're going to get a nice community person who who talks nice and 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 uh, throws a lot of strikes, but also, you know, about a five ERA, you know, and you know, he's high in the zone and he gets hurt a lot. He can't go very many innings. But, but the problem with the, the problem with that trade was the Pirates are really cheap. Like we have the lowest payroll in baseball this year, and it's the lowest payroll in baseball since 2015. Lower than the Rays? Yes, much lower this year. Oh, wow. Like our, our payroll, you know, not prorated, but for the whole season would have been fifty nine million. Oh wow! But but that year we made that trade. We were kind of in a wild card hunt, and we never go for it. And it's the one time we went for it in a trade and blew up in our face. Yeah, I, I, I have a close friend who's uh, who actually used to listen to you uh, when he lived in Pittsburgh. I talked to him yesterday. Told him you're going to be on the podcast, um, and uh, and and. I told him, I said, he was all excited about it. I'm like, you, you, you're not getting what you think you're getting. Uh, you know, great guy. He might be mayor of Pittsburgh someday, but, um, or on the city council and he could throw a pretty good fastball, uh, if he could find the zone. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, can't, the lack of control, you never know which Chris Archer you're going to get out there. We would have been better off pitching glass now, even though he wasn't a proven commodity, that would have been a better bet. Well, I hope baseball comes back and uh, and we play some games. And, uh, Pens, and I hope they all come back. I'm tired of talking about nothing. <laughs> I can't even imagine how you do a radio show five days a week about sports with no sports. I got so desperate. I was uh, I was watching the empty arena South Korean baseball. I don't know if you've seen that <laughs> on ESPN. Well, Pens, I'm a, I'll tell you one thing that, that came back a couple weeks ago that I'm a big fan of. Uh, Cornhole? English, Cornhole? English, English, no, English Premier League soccer. Yeah. And my favorite team, Liverpool, just clinched their first yeah. title in 30 years. And depends. I'm fanatic about that. I mean, my two favorite teams are the Penguins in hockey and Liverpool in soccer. And honestly, even like the Steelers and Pirates, I mean, I care, but I more from a sports talk host point of view is in terms of uh, in, instead of a fanatic. Yeah. No, I understand how it is to be that passionate. I, I'd still watch uh, game 162 back from uh, that crazy night. And, uh, and I still pop just like I'm watching it live. Crazy stuff. There you go. Anyway, hey, thanks so much. If you're ever in Tampa, drinks on me. And, uh, and I'd love to catch up and appreciate your time, man. Fans will do. Thanks for having me. Tell Bill as I said hello. Great stuff. Want to thank Mark Madden. And we uh, got to wrestling eventually and then got back to sports. And um uh, always uh, great to catch up with him. Like I said, he was a bucket list guy on the podcast. I've been bugging him on Twitter uh, for a while, and he finally said, let's do it. So we did it. Uh, and uh, appreciate his time. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter if you want. I believe it's at Mark Madden, uh, all one word. You can follow me on Twitter, at David Penzer, all one word. And um, we like to talk wrestling and um, and uh, tell some stories and actually been putting some pictures up with me and some of the guys lately. So uh, so come join us, won't you? And if you like the podcast, spread the word, tell your friends and neighbors, be sure to subscribe. And we will be back next week for another exciting edition of City Ringside starting year three. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And I'm still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a place for my head quick fix on Radio Influence. 
This week, we're talking to pro wrestler and actor Aaron Stevens, the artist formerly known as Damian Sandow from the WWE. What am I doing? I was internalizing everything, internalizing everything. And, um, you know, I, I've actually never disclosed this on an interview before, but I, I was at a point where I had such a low opinion of myself. You know, I had pushed people closest to me and was pushing them away. And it was not because I didn't love them. It was because I didn't think enough of myself. You know, it was like, I don't deserve anyone. I'm this, I'm that, I'm nothing. Because I had equated everything, every bit of my existence with who I was or how someone was treating me. Um, and that to me, you know, that's, I don't believe in regrets in life. Um, but I, I think if we don't learn from the times when we have been less than what we could have been, you know, and it, and it took me years. It, it took me years to, you know, I, I hopped into acting and I walked away from wrestling completely. I, I just said, I can't deal with this anymore. It was such a bad taste in my mouth. And, you know, that wasn't the best decision because there was, I left no room for healing, you know, in terms of that. I, I don't want to call it a wound, but you couldn't get, you, that, you never found your closure. No, I didn't. And, you know, as, as I kind of learned to be better with myself, to forgive, um, you know, forgive myself, which was the hardest thing. And, um, you know, I, I've had some great opportunities, you know, some acting roles started coming up. Um, and then, you know, Billy Corgan, um, you know, the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> is, uh, who was a buddy of mine, you know, started his league and I kind of, I, I went there and I, it was so strange, like how I started to get this closure, but at the same time, like reignite my love for what this truly is. A place for my head with Brandon Thompson and Jerry P. Tuck can be found on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.